0: Welcome to this week's message from a new Church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. All right, so I'm going to teach on uh, worship today. I realized I've been here for, um, it's, you know, maybe like, eight or nine, ten months, somewhere in there. It feels like a lifetime. Um, I'm just, a, I'm an all-in person, so I moved in instantly. I was like, I can't remember what it was like living in my old life. Um, but I, I, I realized I've been here for this, this long, been leading the worship team, and I haven't really talked about worship at all on a Sunday. So um, that's what I'm going to do today. And I I realize now everyone's going to be like, "Oh, sweet! I'll get out my notepad." The worship pastors pe- talking about worship—they're going to give me some like secret source gold nuggets that I can use and apply directly to my life to make worship better. So I can like figure out how to get the right vibe when I'm like in my car going to work, and like how do I how do I like feel the Holy Spirit really quickly and stuff this, and. and so often, I don't know if you've found this, but so often, especially when worship leaders or worship pastors talk about worship, that's kind of the angle: is they go, "How can worship like feel better? How can how can I how can my experience in worship um, be better?" And just because you've been begging me at the end of the sermon. I will give my two-step genius worship hack to ha- make any worship time better, and these two steps will change your life. And it will cost you $7.95 um, because this is my this is this is going to be my one chance at being a televangelist because um, this is this is the only thing that I've got that someone might want to buy. So. Um, if you can make it through the rest of the sermon, and I might make it boring just to really drag you along, um, in an hour and a half or so, I'm going to give you my two-step genius worship hack. And then, but, but because it's so like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. I can't believe he's just, he's just explained it so simply to us and we'll all be experiencing so much shame from it. We're just going to turn the lights out so no one has to look at each other and we can just leave the room. So, so what we're going to do, the way the service is going to go, is I'll preach this message. If you can, if you can sit through it and we make it to the end, I'll give you my two-step genius worship hack, and then we'll just turn the lights out and everyone can leave. Cool. And it's definitely not because I have an, an engagement at 11 o'clock that I want to make. Um, no. But I um I, I don't just want to talk about what I like or how I can enjoy worship or how it can I can feel better. But I want to talk about what does God like? So if you're taking notes, um, you can put that at the top. What does God like? Um, So I wanted to start with a definition of worship, um, because if we don't know what we're talking about, uh, we're just going to go round and round in circles. So here's my definition. And I've been working on this for a while, and I think it's right. Um, Hence why I'm telling you it. This is, this is my definition of, of, of what worship is, and it's biblical as well, so that's helpful. So worship is our response to God's presence, His power, and His person. Look, I've even got alliteration in there. You know it's good when there's a bit of alliteration. Worship is our response to God's presence, His power, and His person. And we see this all throughout. No, I don't want to join... Hotspot. We see this all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament as well. The, the Israelites would constantly rem- remember the God who was faithful. His his person, who he is, they would remember the God who took them out of Egypt, Egypt through the Red Sea to safety. What what he had done, they, and they would they would celebrate the fact that his presence was close. It was near, or they they were they they couldn't enter the Holy of Holies, but it was in their camp, and they could they could see that it was close. And so, all throughout. Um, the Old Testament, we see worship playing out as these things and it just carries on through to the New Testament. So that's my definition for worship. Worship is our response to God's presence, power and person. Um, so because because I'm a musician, the day I was saved, I joined a worship team because um, that's how it works in church is if you're like, Anna, like she's literally been a Christian like four days. Like, the, you know, earlier on how she said, you know, like earlier on this week, the Lord was talking to me. That was her, the day of her salvation. Um, but like, it's kind of a little bit like that in churches, especially in youth ministries. If if you get saved and you're a musician, like the guy that leads the worship team is coming to talk to you to do your like your post service. You know, like he's going to help you fill out your form. I can guarantee. Um, but there there is something about when someone's a musician, um, they instantly kind of get put into the worship team. Maybe you know. Hopefully, we do a bit of due diligence and we we talk to them about what we believe and stuff because you actually do need to believe to belong. Um, um, but. Basically, the first night I was, the night I was saved, from then on, I, I, like, worship has been a massive part of um, of my Christian walk. Um, so the night that I was saved, I went along, I had this friend actually called Megan, Larkins, her name was Megan Larkins, and she was relentless, like, actually relentless, you know that like JD song, your love is relentless, and he sticks his tongue out as he sings relentless, and um, Like, Megan was actually relentless in inviting people to youth. Like, every single week she would invite me to come to youth, and I'd say no, and I'd give some atheist quip about how she was wrong about Christianity and stuff. But she wore me down. And eventually I said, Yes, sure, why not? What harm could it do? There's no way I'm going to be a Christian. Um, And so I go along to youth, and I show up, and we play some games, classic youth ministry stuff and we're in the room and worship starts and it was during the worship that like God sp- begins to speak to me and leads me to himself and it's and and it, and it was because the worship really sucked like it was so bad in fact the two guys that were on that night remember it as the worst night of worship of their entire lives go figure what had happened, I found out later, is a big church had planted in Christchurch, and um, all of the youth band decided to leave um, and go join this new church. And um, so there were two guys left, they were the two faithful, and they were like, no, we could still do this. And so one of them was a drummer, and he brought half a drum kit up to the front of the stage. And the other guy was an electric guitar player, he grabbed an acoustic guitar played all of the lead lines on the acoustic guitar. So it was Tinny and he sung and he's not a singer. And so it was awful. Like it was awful. We've talked about it. They're both great and they know it was awful. It was terrible. But what changed my life was I was in a room with 50 or 60 teenagers with their hands in the ear, singing at the top of their lungs to this terrible, awful music like it was the atmosphere wasn't whipping them up they weren't being led you know like it wasn't this great moment but they 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 had something that caused them to sing caused them to them to lift their hands i'm pretty sure they danced around while you know they were fiddling you know little guitar solos and stuff like there was they they'd caught a hold of something and i remember looking and saying what it whatever it is that they have that's what i want Whatever it is that they've got, that that's what I wanted. Over the next few weeks, I went on a journey of giving my life to Jesus. I remember Chris, um, who was our senior pastor at the time, came in the next week to youth, and I fell over speaking in tongues. I brought a friend with me. He fell over and just said Hakuna Matata on repeat so people would stop praying for him. Um, <laughs> but from that moment onwards, uh, it wasn't long until I was in a worship team um, but from that moment onwards, that was kind of the thing that I was looking for. I was looking for a, a, and, and desired to live my life where it didn't matter how good the worship was, whether the band sucked or not, if, if they knew how to play the songs, but that there was something inside of me that just was crying out to God. So my message today is what does God like and I want to I want to really dive into a, a couple of verses in the book of Romans because um, I think this is the the key um, this is this is the key to understanding what God likes in fact um, NT Wright said about this passage that um, th- that these two verses uh, could be oh, actually I'll read the quote because he said it better than me Turns out N.T. Wright knows more than he, than I do. He says this: Paul's whole written work, in fact, could be seen as an extended application of these two verses in Romans. Basically saying, he he's saying, look, these two verses encapsulate everything that Paul wrote in the New Testament and encapsulate the Christian life. It's a big, here's a big, a big statement to make, NT Wright. Um so it's, it's a letter to the Romans, um, obviously. Um, and it's, it, this is like the most agreed upon New Testament book about who the author is. Like nobody's disagreeing, not even the most blue-haired liberal scholar trying to like deconstruct the whole Bible can disagree that Paul wrote this. Like it's like everybody agrees. Well, actually, there's a guy named Tertius who actually is writing it, but Paul's dictating it, which is kind of, that's just dope, like just walking around dictating a letter while a guy scribbles in the corner. Um, and, and in pretty much every list of Paul's writings, the book of Romans is like the top. And so for the whole of church history, this has been like the creme de la creme of Paul's letters. Like the church has looked at this like as, as the, if not the most important, pr- probably the most important letter in the New Testament. And, and so when, when, when we know that, we go, oh, I actually need to make sure I, I understand this. I need to know what is in this, in this letter. So he's writing to a, a church that is a mix of Jews and Greeks, um, and the thing that's interesting about this this church that's different from other churches is Paul didn't help plant it. Many of the other churches um, that he's writing to, in fact, every other church except for Col- the church in Colossae, Paul was involved in planting on his missionary journeys, but the church in Rome he 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 didn't plant, and so. When he's writing this letter, he's not—he's not talking to them and dealing with lots of specific issues. Um, like in other letters, he'll be like, "Hey, uh, that person that's committed adultery, let's kick them out. We need to excommunicate them from our church." It's kind of brutal, but like he's like you know, and he's dealing with all of these specific leadership issues, and he knows the elders really well and lots of other church in, in these other churches, and so he's addressing specific issues. Um. And, but most of this letter, except for Romans chapter 14, is kind of just like him, he's writing a broad general letter to Christians. Um, Romans 14 is, is this the situation's happened, um, and it, a new emperor came in, his name was Claudius, and he didn't like the Jewish people, and so he kicked them all out. Um, and we read that in Acts, it says this here. Um, Paul says, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who recently had come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all of the Jews to leave Rome. So so that had happened. He had kicked out all the Jews and the Gentiles were left to look after the church. And they, the Jewish people came back um, and the Gentiles were swinging from the rafters. They were like eating pork there was no circumcision they were just like they were doing they were doing all of the wrong things that it wasn't a jewish church anymore and they were disappointed it's like you know when you know maybe a new senior pastor comes into town and they paint the walls a different color or something and the people that have been there for a long time go oh man this isn't the same building anymore and so this there was this dispute going on and Paul does address this, and he and he talks about, hey, this is how we're gonna how we're gonna work through this, and he gives um, some great counsel. Um, but aside from that chapter, um, we can like we can see most of most of this book is addressing one specific issue, and that is righteousness. That's the key theme of this book: is is what is righteousness. Why, why can't I get it myself? How am I going to obtain it? How am I going to, and, and now that I've got it, how am I going to live? So Romans 1 through 8, Paul clearly lays out the problem of sin, unrighteousness, that all have fallen short of the glory of God how we're dead in Adam, but we're alive in Christ, Um, and he teaches line upon line that the world is fallen, broken, unable to save itself, but a Savior has come, and salvation is a free gift. Hallelujah. Romans 9 through 11 deals with what is God going to do with Israel now? Paul asks the question, and then Inspired by the Holy Spirit, answers. And what God's not doing is He's not going to wait until the end of the age and He's not going to rapture the church out so that He can deal with the covenant, so He can deal with Israel again while the church, while Christians float in the sky. That's not what God's going to do. And then there's not going to be a millennial reign of Christ where He reigns while Christians still float in the sky. That's not what Paul teaches God's going to do to deal with covenant Israel. He says that that God's going to save for himself throughout the church age, people of the Jewish nation who he calls a remnant, just like, and he likens it to um, when the nation of Israel um, broke, it, broke up and the, the northern tribes all went into exile, God saved for himself Judah and, and some of the Benjamites and kept them as a remnant. And so throughout the church age, God's way of dealing with Israel is he brings Jewish people into the body of Christ. He's, he's constantly, and, and if you look throughout church history, it's constantly happened. God is bringing people of all nations, including Jewish people, into his body. And then chapters 12 through 14, the big idea is this. How do we act as Christians and not like pagans? because that they were kind of the two options is either you were a pagan or you're a Christian and Paul's like, this is how we're going to act as as Christians. And so Paul, for, for 11 chapters Paul is talking about this is this is what to think. this is how I want you to think. This is this is what I want you to believe this is what happened he, he clearly details what happened on the cross and all of these other things. And then chapters 12 through 16 is this is how we're going to live. Because what you believe, what you think should always flow into how you live. Like that's always should be the order that it happens is that you learn something, you believe something, it becomes, it comes inside of you and then it changes the way you act. And so Paul connects these two sections with a, this quick transition where he leans on the theology that he's built in chapters one through 11 and he pulls us into this is how we're gonna live. This is what it says, Romans 12 verse one. This is probably, if not the most famous passage in the New Testament, it'd be pretty close, at least in Paul's writings. It says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul has been teaching line upon line for 11 chapters. And then he says to to, to his readers, he's saying to us today, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the, the mercies of God, so he's saying because of what I've just told you, because of the like theological, because of what I've just told you to believe, I I'm making an appeal to you today. I'm like I'm saying because of that, he, I, I actually I, I'm making an appeal that there's something you should do in response. By the to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is what God likes. It's 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 what God is looking for. He 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 gave us the clue there. This is holy and acceptable to God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if I'm reading this, there's two thoughts going through my mind as I read this. One, this makes sense. This is the response. I've just read for 11 chapters how Jesus laid down his life for me. And so my response should be that I, I lay my life down for him. But I've got a clue here in that it's, I'm a living sacrifice. Uh, I don't have to be a dead sacrifice. Like, it's not like my life's over and God's just going to puppet me around. I'm going to continue living, but not for myself, but for him. We are instructed to lay our whole lives down as a living sacrifice. This is holy and pleasing to God. This is what God likes. And those last few words there it says, which is your spiritual worship. The word spiritual here is the it's the like deep innermost, like internal worship. And I think this is what I saw when I was a teenager looking at, um, in that youth ministry, looking at these kids who the worship wasn't good. There was nothing about the atmosphere that was, that was causing people to worship, but there was something deep inside of them that was causing them to sing and lift their hands and praise God. So Paul continues, um, and, and, he, and he addresses the same issue in verse 2. This is what it says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what God's what the will of God is. What is the will of God? What is good, acceptable, and perfect? Now, that list at the end is not like, oh, God's got a good will and a perfect will and acceptable will. It's not that. It's just using three words poetically to be like what God's will is. So let's not divide that up because we we love dividing things up in Pentecostal churches. So he, see, this is what it says in the New Bible Commentary. Verse 2, while grammatically parallel to verse 1, so it's following a similar structure, really explains in detail how the giving of ourselves as sacrifices is carried out. What is required is nothing less than total transformation. God has given us his spirit who is working to change our hearts and minds from within so that our obedience to God might become natural and spontaneous. God has given us the Holy Spirit. So he says, first off, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. All right, cool. That's I don't really know how to do that, God. Am I just meant to lay on a pile of sticks and see if you send fire or something? What am I, what am I meant to do? And then he explains it Um, In the next verse, don't be conformed to this world, like don't just follow the way of this world, but with the Holy Spirit be transformed by, by the renewing of your mind, it's meaning it's happening inside you, the Holy Spirit's inside you, transforming you because what God is looking for is nothing less than total transformation. What God is looking for in you is nothing less than you to be completely changed, for you to become completely like Christ. So that our obedience to God might become natural and spontaneous. That that when god says go i'm not fighting with myself anymore because i've i've been transformed by the holy spirit when he says go my obedience is natural and spontaneous see that's what that's what eternity is because once we reach eternity we're in a glorified body our sin nature is not just gone and destroyed and we're out of a sinful world, but we're we're taken completely, we've got no sin nature in a completely sin free place. And our response to God is is the natural response of of our heart. And I'm not gonna give you a three-step plan how to renew your mind or how to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But I want to I I say it to you the same way Paul did. I want to make an appeal to you to offer your bodies your whole life as a living sacrifice. To not have any part of you that is hidden from the Lord. Yeah. To say, Lord, my whole life, Everything I, I have, you know, as we were singing earlier, all my heart, all I am, all I own, everything, Lord, is yours. Lord, I, I want to make an appeal to you that we'd be a church that that isn't, we're not just playing Christian on Sunday. We're not just living, you know, we we, we put on a Pretty face, put our makeup on and our best shoes and stuff, and we come to church on Sunday and we shake hands and smile and talk to ourselves, talk to each other, and but that actually our whole lives would be an, a sacrifice to God. Unfortunately, God isn't looking for you to sing a little louder in 2023. He's not looking for meaningless worship he's not looking for a bunch of puppets who who will just you know like like go with the flow and just put their hands up when it's convenient and when the worship sounds good and, and and who will just who will just give empty praise i put this watch on today it's not working it looks like a watch but it's telling me the time's wrong and sometimes i think that's what the lord looks at uh like our empty praises as, like it, it looks good on the outside, cool fashion, Mitch. Like, I, I appreciate that you're lifting your hands, but are you laying down your whole life. This is what God likes. He likes nothing less than all of you. He has no goal other than to completely transform you into the image of his son. That, like, that is what God likes. And so I want to make an appeal to you that you would offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now my two-step genius worship hack. I said I would give it to you if we got to the end. We got to the end good job give yourselves a pat on the back the worship team can come join me now as well cuz we'll we'll put this into practice now let's go back to the definition of worship so worship is our response to God's presence his power and his person now if we take that definition cuz i think sometimes what leads to empty worship is when we're just doing the things but we don't really have any idea why. We, we don't have a why behind why, why we're doing things, um, which I think is half the problem with, you know, we just like put our hands up and we're just like, yeah, nah, I'm I'm not really in the mood today. And I think that comes from the fact that we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and so let's look at that definition. Worship is our response to God's presence, His power, and his person. So this is my two-step genius worship hack. I will take um, bank transfers, um, check. You can just throw coins at me. Um, Unless they're the $2 ones, if you throw that at me, it could hurt from a distance. Um, But here it is. This is my two-step genius worship hack that will make 100% of the time will make every worship time better no matter how good the band is. So if these guys get up and accidentally all play in different keys, which I hope they don't, but if they do, it's still gonna be a better worship time because everyone's gonna put this into practice. Are you ready? I don't feel like you're enthusiastic. I might just get off the stage now actually and we'll leave it there. Are you ready? Okay, all right. Here's Here's what it is. Here's step one, step one. Everyone say step one. Step one. Step one is this. Focus on an element of God's presence, His power, and His person. Let's pick something. Maybe it's something you're feeling. That's the easy one is I'm feeling thankful or I'm feeling God's presence. That's easy. Maybe you're not feeling anything and you go, God, I know that you're closer than a brother. God, I know that you're living on the inside of me. God, I thank you for my day of salvation. You, you, you stretch your mind back. Step one is you focus on God's presence, His power, or His person, and then step two. What is worship? It is our response to God, and so the step step two was this: you do something to respond, and that's what takes the the meaningless gestures and motions that we sometimes catch ourselves doing, and makes them mean something, is because I've gone, God, I thank you for your presence, and I'm going to lift my hands in response, saying, thank you for your presence. I'm going to do something to respond to God. So that could be, it could be lifting your hands, singing, praying, you can jump up and down, run around like a chicken Lots of different things. You could give extra in the offering. That's an option. Um, so that's what that's my two-step genius worship hack. We won't actually turn the lights off. We're going to sing a little bit, uh, a little bit more. And I, I want to encourage you, as we do this, to actually put that into practice. And then when you're at home, maybe late at night, or you're praying by yourself. I would encourage you to take some time and say, Lord, I offer my body as a living sacrifice. I don't want to live for myself. I, 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 wanna, I don't want to hide anything from you, but Lord, all of my life is yours. So you can do that at home. I don't want to do that here today. Um, I want that to be a, like, I don't want it to be in, in a whipped up moment. I want it to be just you and the Lord. So you actually have to remember to do it. But we're going to do the two step genius worship hack um, right now. So let's stand to our feet. And before we sing, I want you to take a moment, close your eyes, it helps you to focus. Close your eyes and just begin to focus on an element of God's presence, His power. Or his person. If you're watching this later or you're watching it online today, you can do this at home as well. Just begin to focus on an element of God's presence, his power, or his person. And then once you've done that, once you've got something on your mind, you, you've, you're thinking about this element of, God, of God's presence. We're going to sing this song together. And what I want to encourage you to do is don't just lift your hands because that's what you do in church, but do something physical with your body to respond to God. so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.